paper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. On the Media Project, we have some commentary and analysis on media issues that we confront this week. We'll be talking about how the press should cover the November election and what do you do when the president isn't telling the truth. This is something we've been contending with for some years now. I'm Rex Smith, editor-large at the Times Union. With my colleagues here, let me introduce first the CEO of Northeast Public Radio, Dr. Alan Shartok. There you are. I'm here and I'm overworked. I'm so sorry that you're overworked. Underworked is better, but overworked is, is a hard thing. Oh, yes. Rosemary Armeo is here, investigative journalist, editor, and professor. How are you? Thank you. I'm here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And Ira Festfeld is back, publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman in Kingston, New York, and other affiliated publications. How you doing there? I'm doing all right, Rex. You know, for the last five months, I've been coming up to the studio every week, knocking on the door. Has nobody been there? <laughs> finally dawned on me you may be doing these things from remote. <laughs> we've, we've had to get by without you. Uh, well, I, I want to sum up my opinion in the last five months. I agree with Rosemary. Yes, <laughs> smart man. <laughs> okay, well then we'll ask Rosemary what to do about this. Here we are about 90 days away from the election. We have what looks like it's going to be a remarkable, strange election coming up. Tell us what the media ought to be doing at this point. How are we handling election coverage, we broadly speaking? <laughs> We're holding our breath, waiting to see what happened, which is not a good thing. The best thing that I heard is about the AP, which has, of course, a national infrastructure. And they have gone to work looking at the election laws, procedures, history, weaknesses, and personality in all 50 states. That that is going to be invaluable because we talk about a national presidential election, but of course it's really 50 separate elections, all with their different problems. So I think they're in good shape. The thing that's missing from us are two things, in my opinion. One is we are not explaining to people exactly what voting absentee, voting by mail, the fact that the president can confuse those two terms as if they're different and make people mixed up about that is telling. We need to be better educating people about election procedures. This is third world election coverage, by the way. That's what you have to do in places where voting is new. We have to do that here because in many ways the election this year is brand new. And we also need to be doing a lot more investigating on equipment and voting procedures. Who has made those machines? What kind of accuracy do they have? What kind of problems are there? I'm not seeing a lot of that, and I should be. So that's my opening gambit. Good prescription. Alan, what's your uh, take on election coverage, campaign coverage, and so on so far? Well, I do think that Rosemary is on to something here, which is it all revolves around Trump and what he thinks is good for him. 
And as we know, he attacks the press all the time. The press is the enemy of the people. And his outrageousness is, well, I'm against voting by mail in uh, Nevada, where I have more trouble, but not in Florida, where I have a better chance. Uh, It's just, it's literally, it's literally unbelievable. And our problem is that we tend to take him literally. So when he says something, the press covers it, and I get a lot of mail saying, why doesn't the press, this is a great one, why doesn't the press agree not to cover the president? And I get a lot of that. (laughs) I get a lot of that. And I respond, I say, wait, 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 wait. This is a competitive game. There isn't one thing. I've learned that from Rex, who taught me that. This is, there's not one thing called the press. And if one person doesn't show up, the other guys will beat his brains out or her brains out. Absolutely. Ira, how do you think? Yeah, well, uh, I, I think education is, is a very important uh, piece of what the media should be doing always, but certainly going forward. Um, and not only on the items that Rosemary mentioned, but uh, I pick up on what uh, Ben Smith wrote about in The Times uh, a week or so ago, explaining to people how the election results may not come down in their entirety on election night, and that you won't know who the next president is likely at 11 p.m. on election night, and that, and that it could take a, a week or more for the results to come in, and that there's nothing wrong with that. They're going to make sure they're counting the ballots accurately. And, and unfortunately, we, we live in a, such a uh, impatient society that uh, people are going to get agitated and, and presume the worst about what's going on with those results. I think part of the problem, or a big part of the problem, is that the people, and, and I, forgive me if this sounds more detrimental than I prefer, but a lot of the people who need this educating are not going to be reading and listening to the media outlets that are going to be doing the educating. And, and uh, if they're going to stick with social media and if they're going to stick with the far-right cable outlets, etc., they're not going to hear those stories and they're not going to get educated. And I don't know what we can do about that. Well, I think you have a significant point there that the peril here is with the president saying we're going to have the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history. The threat isn't that we're not going to have a fair election. It's that a big chunk of voters are not going to accept the results as legitimate. And especially this is true if the president feels that he's going down or if he might be ahead in election night and then Joe Biden ends up winning the election as a result of mail-in ballots, you could have a really difficult scenario. And we may well be sitting here in December bemoaning how we can cover this in a way that is fair and accurate while the president is attacking the coverage and attacking the election results. We could be, I think to Rosemary's original point, The educational function is so important now because people have to be told over and over, here's how voting is going to go. Here's what this year's election is going to be like. It reminds me so much of covering elections in newly emerging democracies where people don't know what to expect. They listen to leaders on different sides, different parties, tell them different things about what to expect, and they're really literally in the dark. We're very much like that this year because it's going to be a really different election. You look even at the TV coverage. There's no more of this hype. We're going to be with you all night until all the results are in. They can't do that. What is election night coverage going to look like? 
They must be meeting about that right now, don't you think? I have a few thoughts about that. I think what's going to happen is, first of all, I am just one person who happens to think it's going to be a blowout. I think Trump is going to really lose this election very severely, which is what people ought to be planning for. You know, we've seen elections lost in Florida, hanging chads and the rest of it. But I do think that Trump has so much riding on this that there will be hell to pay and that the press is going to have to cover all of that. But I think Trump's going to lose this election very badly. Not if any one of several scenarios occur, one being whether they start messing with the mail-in ballots. For example, if Trump is ahead of the vote on election night based on the returns, the traditional returns, but with a significant number of mail-in ballots to come, and if many of those mail-in ballots are Biden people and they start coming in, Trump and his people are going to yell foul. And we don't know what kind of crap they're going to pull before the election. You know, I heard commentators say this is going to be the mothers of dirty campaigns. So I agree with Alan. You know, in theory, it looks like Biden should win this and will win this in a landslide. But I think all bets are off, and I don't think any of us should be comfortable with that prediction. We will be facing as journalists some huge issues here because Mm. there's likely to be, I think, an October surprise from the attorney general. You know, he will issue a report that seeks to undermine the the Mueller probe and the original investigation into the president. We're going to have a tough time with the coverage of issues that could, in fact, influence the election. I think it's going to be a tumultuous election season coming up. It's true, and that could go both ways. I mean, there's a whole bunch of news about Trump that's coming out now, including an investigation into trying to tell his ambassador to get his golf course into this national thing. It was the British Open, what you're talking yeah. about. He wanted the Open to be played in his Scotland course. And that is a clear, if it's true, a clear violation. And apparently his inspector generals were looking at that. And that's why the whole bunch of them have either gotten fired or resigning right now. I think as journalists, we have to forget about the one event that will knock Trump out. He's proved over four years now almost that that is not going to happen no matter how outrageous that single event. But you know, Rosemary, it all adds up. You know, one event, sure. My question is, how much do people follow and what are journalists' responsibilities? This morning I was talking about the Russians. I mean, can you imagine that Putin and his people are all in the United States? We know this. We know it from our intelligence, Trump's intelligence people. And yet it is as if nothing is happening with the Russians. It's extraordinary to me. Here's the thing I've discovered over many years in journalism. What to us looks like a clear pattern, an unbelievably horrible pattern of behavior by the president. To many people who are not as addicted to the news and coverage as we are, they see it as, oh, one more thing. Now they're after him about this. Now they're hounding him on that. They see it as us pounding away, not Mm. on his constantly doing bad things. Mm. Which leads to a point that I see being discussed now, particularly in broadcast, where CNN, the most recent one was the anchor Brianna Keller. She's on during the day. And she had Mercedes Schlapp out of the Trump communications office, a wife of Matt Schlapp, who runs the big CPAC convention. And Schlapp would go through her, her litany of comments and opinions and facts, quote unquote, 
And Keller called her on her and said, this is nonsense. And she, she did that once before on another Trump operative. And the question being raised that we should consider is, should these people even be put on the air to begin with? You know what you're getting before they come on the air. You know they're going to spin. You know they're going to lie. And is it enough to have them on, let them say what they want to say, and then you say, no, that's nonsense? Or as Rosemary just said, is the public going to view this as us against them and that we're not being fair to the Trump camp? And look at Twitter right now and Facebook. They're taking him down because he's not telling the truth. That gets to be pretty risky, as Rosemary suggests. Because well, they're it, not and taking then it, him down. They're only taking his campaign people down. That's different. Well, whatever they put up there. More courage than Zuckerberg has. Well, how many this, times have we been asked, when are you going to say something good that Trump did? How many times have you been asked that? Because people perceive us as just constantly chipping away at him. No, it's not only that they're taking his people down. They're taking his tweets down when they're not right. And that, of course, leads to another whole bunch of questions as to when it's it's appropriate to basically say, no, this isn't true. We're not going to live with this, and we're going to hold you, Mr. President, responsible. But isn't there a philosophical issue here, a concern that we have? And, and we've all talked in this show, and I certainly agree that Facebook ought to be exercising some editorial control, that it shouldn't just view itself as a neutral party. But we've always said here that the free market of ideas is the place where this gets fought out, that when there is something that isn't true, the opportunity is for the public to set it aright. Now we're saying, well, but Facebook ought to be commended for taking down content that the president has posted that is inaccurate. And that is philosophically different from saying we ought to allow a public airing of these falsehoods and let the public take it down. Right? Isn't there a difference? Are we being inconsistent? Well, I don't think we're being inconsistent, but I do think it's a conundrum that we, those of us on this program, are old school journalists and sometimes look at these things through the prism of our experience growing up in this business. The appeal of social media to many people is the freewheeling nature of it and the instantaneousness of it. And I think, yes, absolutely, Facebook is a publisher, and a publisher should not be printing material that it knowingly believes is false. But increasingly, the public has become acceptant of it. You put all that information out there, and we'll decide for ourselves. So it's really a generational thing, I believe, and we're at a turning point. Yeah, I think the turning point was with Trump covering this administration is not the same as covering past administrations. He uses social media and his Oval Office conferences and press appearances to do essentially propaganda. And he gets that out whether we agree to it or not. No matter what we decide here, he gets his word out. So, no, I don't think that we should be doing things the old way, the way I learned growing up, which is you put everything out and the people decide. There's too much working against their ability to figure out what's really happening. In the old days when newspapers got more political advertising before the days of TV, if an ad came in that said essentially Trump is, is working hard to rid us of the virus and, by the way, we should open schools because kids are immune to the virus, I suspect I would have let that ad go through because it would come under the broad heading of political opinion. Um, yep. So I'm not sure that 
Twitter and or Facebook should have taken this down. The, the only thing that makes me believe that they should is because we do know that it's incorrect and it's damaging. The impact is so much more significant that the Why rules that have changed. Why editorial about sending in troops into cities was so difficult for old-line journalists, including myself. I see nothing wrong still with that op-ed. I, I disagree with it totally, but that's a different thing. And mm. Trump has made us face this idea of how you present alternative versions of the truth. We can't do it the old way, which is air everything and then let people decide. I just think that's disservice now. Is that a disservice because these social media platforms are so powerful that there's no way around them? Isn't that what's causing the difficulty? If we had, even in the way that there used to be multiple newspapers or multiple radio stations and so on had, with a lot of different voices, right now, if Donald Trump puts out this lie that children don't transmit the disease, because Facebook is so powerful – lives could be lost. That's one of the reasons why the rules have to be different now, right? It isn't just social media, though, Rex. I mean, I blame Fox for a lot of this and Breitbart, the very powerful right-leaning press, which cares much more about views than about truth. That's part of it. The president has used his own powerful newsmaking uh, apparatus to do the same thing. They're all working together against the traditional media. Kelly McEnany, I mean, my God, she's, look at the power that she has when she gets up there and just uses taxpayer-supported communication to be a campaign manager. That's what she is. What can we do, though, as individual journalists, or what can citizens do about media outlets, powerful media outlets, you talk about Fox News, that in effect manufacture controversies. I'm taken by this one that we've heard about now recently about Fox News is putting out the notion that Joe Biden is afraid to debate President Trump, that he's trying yeah. to get out of the debates, which is flat out untrue, but it has been Breitbart and Rush Limbaugh and Fox News all over the place about Biden's trying to get out of the debates. This is not true. Biden has agreed to three debates. So far, Donald Trump has accepted none. So <laughs> what do you do about that, though? What do you do if you're covering politics and you have powerful media outlets that really have no regard for the truth? Well, if you're looking at CNN, for example, they now regularly do what I've done from the beginning. But they now regularly say they don't use the lie word, but they say factually inaccurate and all the rest. So some media are just saying he's lying. He's not telling the truth. I mean, I don't know what else you can do. You can't do anything else. I mean, the media that you're talking about, and that's much of the media, if you're watching Fox, the odds are you're not watching anything else. You may, be, you may also be looking at right-wing social media, but you're not looking at CNN. And if you accidentally trip over CNN, you likely won't believe what CNN said. Ira, there are a lot of people in the middle. I mean, you're exactly right. If you're a dyed-in-the-wool, Republican, conservative, you watch Fox, and you probably don't watch much else. On the other hand, if you are, you know, a suburban mom or one of those people, those are the people who are up for grabs. And so we can't throw everybody into this. They only watch one or the other group because an awful lot of people watch CNN. And by the way, I get regular mail as the head of WAMC from people who say uh, you're not conservative enough. You need to consider this or that. I mean, what else can you do except write to them and Tell them what you think. I don't know that Alan is right that there are so many in the middle. It seems that that's a pretty small number of folks. I, I think the ratings show that Fox 
and MSNBC dominate CNN in the ratings. They're all doing much better than they used to, but CNN is viewed as the middle ground. And again, the people on the right who want to believe that what Fox is saying, that Biden doesn't want to debate, are not turning into CNN to hear otherwise. You know, a blowout election in this country is 5%, 3%, And I'm telling you, just the people who are watching CNN, if you're right about that, Ira, become the people in the middle. You know, you go to MSNBC if you want one thing, and you go to Fox if you want the other. But I do believe that when we see the numbers shifting the way they are in the polls, some people are changing, and those are the purples. Let's bear in mind, as we were pointing out last week, though, that the number one show on television is still broadcast is the ABC World News Tonight with David Muir. So let's bear in mind that we pay a lot of attention to the cable channels because we are uh, news junkies, but broadcast down the middle, what people would call curated news remains tremendously popular in this country. That's actually good news, I think. You know, there was a lot of cheering this past week because of a terrific, tough interview with the president done by Jonathan Swan of Axios. A print journalist, by the way. A print journalist who came through with the kind of tough questioning in a sit-down with the president on camera, of course, that a lot of these highly compensated anchors have not done. But not many people will actually see that. Not many people whose votes are really up for grabs will have a chance to see John Swan really holding the president's feet to the fire for his inaccuracy, which brings us back to why all the media outlets need to be really paying attention to how they cover this election. Not many people are seeing it because it was on HBO and it's uh, at a relatively inconvenient time, but the YouTube viewership and you know the use of the clips elsewhere has made it a very widely viewed interview. I, I think the, the sad thing is, is that that interview and the one that Chris Wallace did a couple of weeks ago are the exceptions and not the rule. There are a lot of journalists, particularly broadcast journalists, who ought to be looking at themselves in the mirror. I mean, they're also the ones who should be asking tough questions. You know, what Swan did was excellent, but it should be the norm. Trump yeah. is a very difficult interview. He is in your face. He's a bully. He's lustering. He lies with a plum. He's a very difficult yeah. interview. And Swan himself earlier failed in an interview with Trump. He right. was rolled over. And that's what made him go and really study. It was masterful, not only in his reach of material, but in his approach. He didn't say, hey, you're lying. You're a jerk. He said, you know, Mr. President, people depend on you. They they love you and listen to you. Why why would you say this? And it was it was such a compelling interview. It was respectful and yet hard nosed and it really got to Trump. He's failed now in two interviews with people who he thought would be easy, Swan and then the Chris Wallace one. He's really faltering lately. If you were White House press secretary, what would you be telling Trump to do right now? You're behind in the polls, seriously. You've got to get a Hail Mary pass one way or the other. You pick on the guys, and that's very interesting because I just learned something from this program that I didn't know. I didn't know there was a first interview that he had done where he yeah. sort of failed. And that is so yeah. interesting. That's why they picked him for the second one. That's exactly right. They go, well, Leah, he'll be okay. We can take care of this guy. Mark. Right. Yeah. Trump is definitely in trouble. He can't have his rallies. His briefings have been a disaster, and the rebooted set 
don't seem to be going any better. And now he's had two really awful interviews in a row. So I suspect what will happen next is that he will become very busy with governance. He'll be too busy to deal with the media because he's taking care of us and our COVID and our foreign relations and nuclear energy. And he will he will get very busy is what I suspect that you'll see. And he'll have others speaking for him. We're dangerously busy. In other words, he may yeah. oh, yeah. he, he may create some kind of a crisis, which I expect. But, you know, you take a look at somebody like Fauci and the science that he brings. My birthday present this year was a Fauci doll, which I treasure. But Fauci is extraordinarily popular in this country, and the president is not. And every time Fauci goes on the air, his numbers go up and Trump's stay set or go down. People don't like the guy. And Rosemary, I don't think his personality will permit him to shut up. I just don't think so. The difficulty is that our ratings are not high also. Latest data shows that the media are uh, at a, a nadir, that nobody has mistrusted the news media broadly more than at this moment. And I think that the rebuilding from that will take many years and will not end with the Trump presidency. Yeah. Well, I, I've said before on this program that if you can credit, and I use the word credit advisedly, if you can credit anything that Trump has done strategically, it has been his diminishment of the media from before he was elected and laying the groundwork to have his supporters distrust anything that the media says. And it has worked. And as Rex said, it's going to take quite a while for it to turn around. It's really dug into the society now. The phrase fake news is part of the lexicon, and Trump is the one who really spurred that. Yeah, but if it's worked so well, how come he's so low in the polls? In other words, Ira, you can tell me that the media is distrusted and not liked, and there are polls that show that. Nevertheless, he may hate the media, but his personal numbers are in the toilet. Well, but I'm talking about that in light of what Rex was talking about, how the media is uh, so disliked or not trusted. And, uh, you know, if only a third of the country is diehard support for Trump, that third is a big number when it comes to buying newspapers, watching TV, etc. So it has a big impact. Well, I, you know, I'm not sure. I think we may be beating up on the media, and we may say, look, they're, they're not trusted. On the other hand, somebody's listening to them, because look at Trump's numbers, is my point. Yeah, but a third of the country is Trump's camp. No matter what he does, that's Trump's camp. That's a big number to have that distrusts us in the media. If a third of the people in this country, a chunk of whom used to buy newspapers or watch the mainstream TV stations, don't do that anymore, that's a significant hit in our credibility, and it's a significant hit in the wallet. I don't agree. So to get those people back, what do you do? Start to lie and not tell the truth about the guy? No, I think the press, I can make an argument that the press is held in some esteem, even though the polling shows not, because people listen to it and read it and watch it. With that, we're going to have to let the show go because we are out of time. Alan Shartak, Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, and I'm Rex Smith from the Times Union. We thank you for joining us. We thank our producer, David Gustina, and you all come back again next week for The Media Project. They used to work like hell just for romance, but finally the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their pants. 
They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now newspapermen are such interesting people. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is editor-at-large of the Times Union. Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and former chair of the Department of Journalism at the University at Albany. And Ira Fussfeld is the publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at wamc.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.